Welcome back to the Death and Grief Talk podcast. My name is Joelle Simone Maldonado, and I'm also known as the Grave Woman. This week, I have the pleasure of speaking with my colleague and student, Eileen Hollis of Hollis Funeral Home. Eileen is a licensed funeral director and embalmer who works with her father to operate their family-owned funeral home in Syracuse, New York. Eileen also uses social media to educate her millions of viewers about all that happens in their funeral home, including what happens in the embalming room. I've always been attracted to Eileen's upbeat and jovial personality, but it wasn't until conducting this interview that I understood and can see how much we truly have in common. During our time together, you'll hear us discuss everything from the paranormal to creating work-life balance, the paralyzing anticipatory grief that we both have developed um, working in the death care industry, to the importance of cultural competency and things that she's learned and gained from taking some of my courses. We also talk about living up to the tremendous legacies that those that we love have built and left for us, and just talk openly about mental health struggles and how she's using her platform to educate and empower her millions of viewers worldwide. Hi, Eileen. Hi, Joelle. (laughs) How are you? I'm very good. That is good. So why don't you introduce yourself um, and let our listeners and watchers know who you are? My name is Eileen Hollis. I've been a licensed funeral director for five years now. I've been working with my dad in our family funeral home for about like nine though. Time like really (laughs) is meaningless to me these days, but um, yeah, I'm just holding down my dad's funeral home with him. It's just the two of us. Um, We divide and conquer a lot of the time, but uh, these days, Um, I'm trying to learn every aspect of our business because uh, the reality of it is is that I'm going to be taking over uh, the funeral home. So it's a big anticipatory grief thing for me, but um, I'm really, I'm really excited to, uh, to do that and see how our funeral home changes and, um, modernizes and all of that so so we had a little bit of technical difficulty but the last thing I heard you say was that it's like an anticipatory grief thing with you anticipating taking on the funeral home but that also means that your dad might not be there and I know that has to bring up a lot it brings up just so many feelings. And I can also just like break down in tears when I think about it, because, you know, I've been, I've had anticipatory grief for as long as I can remember. I don't know if that was because I went to Catholic school and they talked about like purgatory a lot. And that freaked me out. Um, just the idea of like floating around in darkness. Um, I was just afraid of losing my parents and, you know, the concept of like a, a godmother, godfather, godparents that freaked me out too. Cause I was like, where do I go? Like, 
I'll live with them. I don't know. So I've just been working through anticipatory grief since I was small, but now the fact that I'm taking over this huge legacy of his and like a huge house, like it's a lot of anxiety to work through. And I don't know why um, this like 2022 has been like the year of sorting that out in my brain. Um, but yeah, anticipatory grief, taking over the business. I just want to do a really good job and I don't ever want to give up on that legacy. Um, I'm aware that maybe someday when I'm older, I'll get like burnt out. Like I'm always just thinking about these things, um, about the business and, I just, my dad is such, he's such an elf. Like he's like Will Ferrell an elf. He's just so happy and uplifting and he rarely complains. Um, and he just like, sometimes he can make me feel like Walter Hobbs in a way. Um, and I feel that I'm pretty optimistic too, but I'm a realist for, I'm a realist. So you know, it's so interesting that you say that because I can so relate to all of it from the anticipatory grief of losing my parents and those that I love. Yeah. And even the the taking on a legacy. No. I'm getting my sage. I'm getting my sage. Oh, are you back? Okay, I literally went to go get my <laughs> Oh my God. Why won't they let us be great? Like, what? I know. What the hell? So while Eileen lights her sage, I'm going to... I'm literally doing this right now. While we light the sage, I am going to pick up where I left off. And this is golden. Like, because this is real life. This shit happens. This is really... I, I mean, I'm... Palo Santo. I love it. I'm a little woo-woo um, and I can't wait to take your align class. And I love that the price is four, 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 four. Yes. Angel numbers. Very intentional. Very, very intentional. But um, I was just saying that I can totally relate to that anticipatory grief because to an extent, and I didn't go to Catholic school. Thank you. Um, to an extent, I've always had that. And I got married in February I moved back home to South Carolina. Thank you. And this is something I, if you asked me one thing I would never do in life, it would be moving back home to South Carolina. So God has a great sense of humor. Mm -hmm. because I was living life, doing it up in Atlanta for 18 years. I was like, you know what? I'm single. I'm going to move to Colorado and bam, fell in love, met my husband. And I'm living in my grandparents' house that they built 50 years ago. I love that. Eileen, it is so much pressure because I'm so grateful. It's such a blessing, but it's like their legacy. Yeah. And I mean, my grandparents literally built this house. Like, Can, from you, can you feel them in there? Eileen, my grandma's still alive. 
Um, but my grandfather, my uncle, so my uncle was a mortician, as I'm sure you know, I, I share that yep. all the time. My yep. office is his room. Wow. I'm in his room right now, the room he grew up in as a kid. And sometimes when I'm sitting down creating courses or working or even doing consulting or, or podcasts, I swear my hand is not my own. It's him. I feel like, I don't know if it's just my eyes. Like it's, I don't know. It Syracuse is kind of like gray and weird right now, but I feel like there's a halo of light around you. It could just be my eyes, but it there could be. I feel like, yeah, there could be. And it's like the house, I mean, it sits on a huge property, like huge amount of land. And so it gets a little scary, not scary, but like we're, we're in the woods, you know what I mean? Yeah. But there's, there's people around, but I feel so protected. I feel so safe. But then at the same time, I feel this weight of, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to tarnish the reputation because like your dad, I'm sure he has a huge positive reputation in your community. My family are families of educators. My grandparents educated just about everybody in our town. Mm -hmm. So it's like when people see me, I don't even feel like they see me to an extent. They see them. And I don't want to mess up their legacy, but I'm trying to also be myself. Uh, You like 100, 1000% like get it. And yeah, it's it's a huge pressure and you just want to be yourself and find balance. like. Because, I mean, so much of us is them, too. Right. But, yeah, we have to be ourselves, too. And it's hard. It's so hard. But at the same time, it's such a gift at this, you know. But the anticipatory grief, I used to go into fits when I was a child, thinking about something happening to my dad because my parents got divorced. He wasn't in the house with us anymore. And I'm like, is daddy safe? Or, like, people ask me all the time, am I afraid of death? And I'm like, I have no fear. Well, I can't say I don't have any fear, but my fear comes from losing those that I love. That's it. That's exactly it. I'm like, I don't, sometimes I can get freaked out by death, but a lot of the times it's what is my mental health going to look like without these people? And it really just tears my heart apart I'm already like starting I cannot like my dad is such a positive person in my life that I just can't imagine like will I have the stamina to keep doing this without him I want to I have to believe that I can and I have to believe that there will be glimmers to just keep me going um I don't want to say that I'm an empath like i Sometimes I feel like it's very like pick me to just be like, you know, you're an empath, but I'm very sensitive and um, I care about everyone um, and I want to uplift everyone, but I'm just like, will my light go out when my dad is gone? Like that's, I worry about it. Um, But all I know is that he's, had a huge part in um, shaping my heart and morals, both of my parents. And um, I just think that I'm, and my grandparents, you know, like I just feel a strength um, in the core of my body to just like keep going. But I need a lot of time 
to, um, to like heal myself and restore myself. So, cause sometimes like, I just feel like I put too much energy into things and it really like depletes me. So yeah, it's a lot, it's so much, (laughs) so much. And I'm, I appreciate your vulnerability so much, Eileen, because I don't think that people see this side of us and there's this misconception that we can just deal with it all. But the truth is those that are the most what is, I heard it the other day, those that are the most damaged make the best healers. Yeah. And I feel like those of us that feel deep grief the most or the most deeply are those that are able to work in this line of work because we truly are compassionate and we truly can feel the hearts of those that come to us. And I feel the same exact way about my parents, my sister, but especially, oh my God, my grandma, um, Oh, that woman, um, both of them, actually, I'm blessed to have both my grandmas. But I think the biggest thing that gives me comfort is that being here, I don't see the house. I don't see the land. I don't see the money, so to speak. But I see the consistency, the discipline, the heart, the love. And those are the qualities that they've put into me. And they're Mm -hmm. priceless. And I feel like even when they're gone, I'll be, I'm driven now to prove it, but I feel like I'll be fueled by a fire to continue it. Oh and, yeah. And implant that into my future children. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what my life or my mind or my mental state will look like. I can't go that far there because I may not come back. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I totally get it. I totally get it. It's just been like, yeah, it's just been a year of like thinking about that and like even like panic attacks about mm-hmm. it. I had to literally, um, I went to Vegas for my sister's wedding and the it was so much fun. Like we have not her. gotten away as a family in so long um, that it was truly special. But I like, I knew that we were going there. Um, my my sister in May said, okay, in October, we're going to Vegas for our wedding. And I get very overstimulated sometimes. So I was taking the whole summer to just like mentally prepare for that because I'm thinking of my brother who has Asperger's. Mm. Um, And, you know, I just was worried about him. I didn't want him to feel overstimulated. I was worrying about my parents. I was worrying about like all of the family being there. And I just had to go to my doctor and be like, listen, I think that I have generalized anxiety or something. Like I need you to help me. So I had to get like anxiety medication, um, And I've been like going around telling people too. I'm like, I have anxiety medication guys, because it has released so much stress from my body. Mm -hmm. Um, It's wonderful. And I just, I just take it as is. I really, I want to be so transparent about like a mental health journey. Um, Cause I think that's so important. Everyone has their shit, you know? So Mm -hmm. Um, it's important to talk about that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, And good for you for getting, even saying, I need you to help me. Like, how brave is that? Yeah. 
I honestly want to get screened um, to see if maybe I have ADHD. And my husband always jokes about it because he's like, you, you do. Like, you definitely do. And I feel like I do, but I think I just want to get screened. Um, I don't know what difference it would make in my life now, but um, it would just be validating to know that. Yeah. So. I was diagnosed with ADD when I was like four years old. Oh. Yeah. And my doctor at the time told my mom, she's going to struggle so much as a child. But when she goes to college, it is going to be her biggest gift in life. And I can truly say um, it is my biggest gift. I can literally do about 10 things at one time yeah. and do them well. Um, I feel like it is the perfect recipe for a funeral director. Yep. Because you have to be able to control the chaos. Yes. And I feel like that trait makes me that much better at what I do. Um, but it is a struggle, especially in personal life when I'm on 10 and everybody else is on four. And it's like, well, why are you on 10? So it's, it, it is a struggle. But I feel like with all things, we have to be true to ourselves. Yes. And figure out what works for you and have people around you that truly understand and accept you. But yeah. you said something um, about the anxiety and it leads me to the question. You are probably the most famous funeral director online right now. Um, I believe so. Uh, yeah, you are. Caitlin Doty. Caitlin's up there, but I mean, you're more present. Yeah. Um, um so I, what, how, do, how does that play into your anxiety? Oh my God. I have never been so stressed out than when um, things started going viral. Like mm -hmm. it's one of those things where like you want it, you know, so bad, but you have to be very careful what you wish for. Um, because so it's just 24 seven, like funerals funeral talk for me now it mm -hmm. seems and that can make me spiral so hard into um into existential dread sometimes but mostly imposter syndrome and we've mm. um we've talked about that like briefly um but I mean not that I don't think that I have the knowledge in anything like I definitely do but mm -hmm. um sometimes it's just pressure like am I am I the per like I'm not the spokeswoman for this you know like it takes a whole village and all of us are on this platform and I just kind of feel like it's like funeral service you go to who you want to go to um whichever funeral home but yeah this year also has been extreme boundaries with that because mm -hmm. I can't just sit I can sit and scroll sometimes it's like a release for my brain but I find myself very overstimulated and I can't adjust I had to be like put your phone in the next room mm -hmm. Because I don't want to just do that um, when my husband is sitting next to me too. Because it is like TikTok is a form of work for me yes. at this point. And um, Melissa had to tell me like, just post, post and get the heck out of there. So that's just what I've 
doing is just trying to be present, but also go away at the same time. I need space for my brain because it just will circle into all these different things. And yeah, it's a lot. I don't think people realize, um, we hear it said that social media is taking over our lives, especially for younger people. I'm 36, so I kind of can get in and out. You know what I mean? But there are 15-year-olds that their entire existence is social media. But what I found um, and what scared me personally was that I felt as if social media was taking away my moments, if that makes sense. Yes. I, I said this to Jessica Chandler. I said, you're one of the most underrated funeral directors, I think, because like you and Monica are like the knight in shining armors of funeral service in my eyes. Um, and I think that what you got you just jet like genuinely put out this amazing information and selflessly put out this information um and I I just feel like everyone needs to see it like Monica puts out her tips of the day every Sunday and it's like that is valuable information like that is your secrets kind of but I like that um I guess people aren't like gatekeeping their secrets, but. Yeah, that's another thing. Like how much do you put out and how much do you not? Because yeah, a lot of what we do, I mean, if we look at the definition of embalming, it's intentional mutilation for preservation, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people find that or not. I mean, that's not the definition legally. That's what it is. But it's like where do you draw the line between what we show and what we don't? And I love what Carrie says about nothing that we do should be secret because if it's secret, we shouldn't be doing it. Yes. But at the same time, how honest are we with people? Like I believe in full disclosure. Yeah. It's like if a family comes in and they've had a traumatic loss and there's a lot of trauma, like how much do you tell them? You know, right. I've always kind of had a hard time with that that line because they deserve to know what happened to their their loved one oh yeah their loved one but I also don't want to traumatize you so that leads to my next question how do you decide what you share and what you don't share on your social media I strictly go with my intuition and my gut literally I just I always have followed my gut like if it doesn't feel right I'm not gonna put it out there um sometimes I can even like post and delete things like I have a silly moment and then I'm like "Mm, actually this is not you and then I like you know we'll get rid of it or something or um but also going back to what you said about like social media stealing like your moments too um, I, I feel that cause sometimes I, you, you have these like great accomplishments and you want, you're so proud of them, you know, and you want to just like share it with the world and scream it to the rooftops. But sometimes you just feel 
like you're being a braggart or you know like I'm sensitive to that too like I want to be proud of myself because this is like this doesn't happen you know um but yeah I I don't want to be like thank you for a million followers like you know I I want to be thankful but I don't want to just like shove it in people's faces because it's also just like what what is this doing for me personally um I it's doing wonders for the death care world and that's my main focus with that um but like I don't, like I never want to like do monetize and like you know I don't need to make like merch I did at the beginning like I don't know I just I'm I don't want to do any of that <laughs> you know I think I think that's honest and yeah I I'm very transparent about the fact that I don't feel like work in death care is about poverty I don't I feel like oh, yeah a specialized gift we have unique talents and then when you throw in the social media we almost become personalities and entertainment to yeah. an extent, which feels wrong but it's true yeah but at the same time I feel like for example I teach about black hair skin and cosmetic care right and yeah. I'm unique in that because I am a black woman and those things are sacred to me yeah. but at the same time this is valuable information because it's also helping other people serve, serve families, which is increasing their bottom line. So yes. why should I volunteer that information? You get Ex- what I'm saying? Exactly. And I think that, I mean, you, you 100, I, I believe we all deserve to be paid. Absolutely. Yes. Um, but from TikTok, I'm like, I don't, I could care less about that. Like I get paid at the funeral home and that is my, how I, make my money you know Mm -hmm. and you um share valuable courses and that's like you know how you make your money and um yeah yeah and I mean the merch I think funeral boss is amazing like oh why didn't I think of this why did I not think of this yeah and that's her livelihood so yeah and And Monica is a, a powerhouse public speaker I haven't seen her in person but I've taken her courses you know I have and she's fucking amazing is she yes and so short she's shorter than I am oh how tall are you I'm five foot two and three quarters she's like probably like five one really with heels on really (laughs) and then I know Lauren's short too so maybe that's a thing how short is Lauren I I think she's like five three I think okay. we're all yeah. just a bunch of shorties. Maybe that's another thing. How, I don't know how tall short. are you? I'm five, six. So I'd be towering wow. over all of you. Yeah. Holy crap. We're just a bunch yeah. of gnomes. Yes. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I just think it's finding your lane. And that's what I stress to people, especially my students. Yeah. Like You don't have to do cookie cutter. I loved working in the funeral home. I plan to open a crematory one day, but Coursing and coursing, teaching and yeah. helping people connect dots and exposing them to information is a feeling that I've never felt before that I want to feel every day of my life. Yeah. Um, and you've taken my 
course. I don't know how many of them you've taken, but I know for sure you've taken the cultural competency. Oh yeah. And that I really want to do the part two more hands-on course um, once you start offering those and like um, just honestly, like, you know, I've taken, I've taken courses from Monica and I, I've taken your course. It is so valuable, especially your courses, because you just, we did not learn a fraction of what you taught us in mortuary school. Like the reasons why people of color wouldn't go to a white funeral home because you know there's a lack of trust there for good reason um and a lack of knowledge on our part so it's just I hope that your courses make it into the curriculum like at mortuary schools too like it'd be cool like if you could travel there um and just offer it, you know, I, I don't know how that all works, but I hope that that happens. Cause honestly, cosmetics in general, it was only, we read about it. We did our wax heads. We didn't really do that on, um, an anatomical gift, you know? Mm -hmm. So I guess that's what the apprenticeship is for. Um, the more hands-on stuff, but yeah, I would have loved to, and you don't even have like the anatomical gifts and the range of the anatomical gifts to do that. But I wish that we could have, um, we could have learned on different like shades of people and tones and stuff and like really work on that. Yeah. And I, I, I pray that one day this information, whether it's my course, I would love it was if it was my, like one of my courses or some of them, but yeah, just the information period, it it's vital because like I told ABFSE, not ABFSE. Yeah. Yeah. ABFSE at, uh, back in Baltimore, mm-hmm. at the, the convention, like your curriculum is failing students. It is. And it- I have to be honest and say that we kind of were shrugged off myself in radical death studies, the collective for radical death studies were kind of shrugged off. um, And we totally lost their interest when we talked about the racist language. Um, But my goal is like I was sharing with you before we started recording is to travel and teach these courses, maybe not in its entirety, but key parts that are needed in different communities because with COVID we saw it firsthand and I'm sorry to say I don't think that 2020 and 2021 was the end of the pandemic I feel like it's circling back around again um, just paying attention to what's happening in China families aren't going to have the option to say I'm going to go to only a black funeral home or white funeral home they're going to have to go and get in and if a professional like I would never go to a doctor and it be acceptable that they don't know how to take my temperature, a nurse or someone there. You get what I'm saying? So yeah. why did you go to a funeral home and it's acceptable that a director, a professional in that time of life is not competent enough to have a conversation with you, let alone provide a service? I And they're, they're afraid to have a conversation too, you know? Uh, I feel like a lot of white people just like, 
or in my case, I just never want to say anything like offensive too, you know? Um, but yeah, I feel like people just tiptoe around the conversation period and then nothing gets accomplished. So you have to like, you have to be willing to like make mistakes in in all of these topics, even like transgender and like stuff like that. Like you have to be willing to make some mistakes and better yourself um, to learn more. I agree. So let me ask you this. What has been the most impactful lesson working in death care over the past nine years? Um, did you grow up in the funeral home? I did grow up in the funeral home. Um, from 1989 until I left for college in 2007. Um, the most valuable lesson? I think I just, I really just observe these families. And at the end of the day, we're all alike and we just want a safe place to grieve and, and not be judged um, for how we want to um, how we want to leave this earth, I guess, or like a final disposition and stuff. I'm, I always freaked out, like, you know, second grade anticipatory grief. I thought about myself dying a lot and what would happen to my body. Um, you know, cause I literally, my bedroom was right over, um, right over like a viewing room. So I could hear, people talking and I would always I would just think like I would always just think about my own death and um I just want people to feel safe at the end of the day and know that the things that they've thought about for their entire life will be honored um when they die so I think the most valuable thing I've learned is just to, I don't know, just make people feel comfortable and safe. However, I can do that. I love that. So I know we're running close to the end of our time. So I have a wild card, card question for you, which I did not plan to ask, but based on our experience with the energies that be yeah. <laughs> our time together. Notice that when we saged everything, we did our thing that the internet was fine. <laughs> right. I love it. So yeah. I guess this kind of falls into the paranormal. And you mentioned the Align course, which will be happening or the Align workshop. It's not a course that'll be happening in February. But what types of paranormal or otherworldly experiences have you had in the funeral home? Because they're not what you see on TV, but they, they do happen. I, I always say that I genuinely am not sure. I've had a lot of feelings, which I think could be something. Um, there's certain areas of the funeral home that has always given me an uneasy feeling. Um, one of those is like towards our basement and there's a rack where my dad hangs up his um, funeral coat and his hat. And I always joked that it looked like the Phantom of the Opera because he had his uh, he had his coat and his hat like set up just so. And um, 
it always looked like this figure. So I was always afraid of that corner, but there's a couple other corners that just give me bad vibes. I don't know if that necessarily means that they're haunted. Um, there's a couch that a veteran told us that we needed to exercise, um, which is bizarre because I've also gotten weird feelings from this couch, but um, again, it's like a weird lit little area. So I don't know if it's just the mood lighting making me feel uneasy or if it is like an actual couch situation. Other than that, um, oh man, in 2021, I think it was, we had like lots of embalming machines stop working during embalmings and, um, our computer died in the same week. It just felt like, it just felt haunted to me. Um, but we have this little like devil man in our fireplace in the funeral home. And I call it our domovoy, which is kind of like a house elf that uh, will, if you make it mad, I'll go and play shenanigans on you. And, but usually it like guards your house. So um, I made an offering to the little house elf in our funeral home. And, um, and then our new embalming machine arrived like the next day. So maybe that worked. And um, other than that, I just feel very, I feel constantly connected to my ancestors. And I'm just, I'm excited to learn more about that because I've never actually taken any courses or anything to align myself with that world um and I'm I'm excited to learn more about it I really want to have um I really want to like invite them into like my dreamland <laughs> and uh yeah well I think um for me I have always had a connection to the deceased, like maybe not having a conversation with them like this, but being guided with by them. Yeah. And it was so real to me that this, like, this is more awkward for me than my communication with them, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I didn't realize that other people didn't have that. And when I realized that other people didn't have that, of course, I started to feel weird. So I tried to turn it off. Right. Yeah. And because of what I would see on TV, like this is when I was a kid, what I'd see on TV or the way that it was depicted as evil or scary, that scared me. And I'm like, am I evil or scary? You know, but I think for me, it's not so much of like a haunting feeling, but I can literally, Elaine, I don't know. And I tried to explain this to a friend this weekend. Let's say there's a deceased present and especially working in the embalming room. To me, that's a very sacred area. Yeah. I can feel whether they have crossed over peacefully or whether they're still struggling. And I, it's not like any way wow. that they look, it doesn't matter the method which they've passed away or the manner in which they've passed away, whether it's sick or traumatic or murder, that has nothing to do with it. It's just like a feeling you, you're struggling or you're at peace. It's one or the other. Yeah. Um, and then I can just talk to my people 
And I'm grateful that it's my people. Sometimes other people come through if there's a message to be had, but it's not like I can just say, I'm gonna close my eyes and talk to your great, great grandma. It's not like that. Yeah. But I don't know. But as far as paranormal experiences, um, I've had a few things happen. I haven't, of course, I've not seen anyone get up and walk around. Right. But um, yeah, things turning on and off or yeah. It's like, yeah, their strength, their strength is like guiding you. That's pretty yeah. cool. Um, I feel like I just see angel, angel numbers all the time. Um, I've just kind of like, that hasn't always happened. I just, it was like this year I've started seeing them and I don't know if that's just like, because I'm on my phone or a lot or you know what, but I choose to see it as like my ancestors guiding me on some sort of path. So um, I feel like they're guiding us in a good place. So that's they are. And I'll, I'll tell you this, um, you said your desires for them to come into your dream world. Yeah. You as above, so below you can only, I truly believe in life and in light. I will say light because there is darkness, but what you desire in the light and from love also desires you. I love that. <laughs> so I just want to say thank you so much thank you so much this is just ugh. I always am like I get so nervous to do interviews you know um but I'm always by the end of it I'm just always so grateful and this was definitely like one of the most comfortable ones that I've had because it was just so natural like the flow of it so thank you for that I feel I like want to cry baby (laughs) I'm a cry baby too (laughs) I'm a cry baby too but um before you go just let everybody know where they can follow you and where they can see you and where where you are because I what you do is so creative and it's so special and you're shining such a light on what we do. So you deserve to be seen. Thank you. Um, I am on Instagram and on TikTok and it's the same handle. It's just at Hollis Funeral Home. And that's it. (laughs) Or come see me at Hollis Funeral Home. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. But I I just love you and I adore you. Um, Thank you. And thank you. The feeling is very mutual. (laughs) Thank you guys for watching and for listening. Live life, love hard, and we'll talk to you next time. This has been the Death and Grief Talk podcast. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more, visit www.thegravewoman.com.